You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today we're very excited to have a special guest speaker with us. Now let's prepare our hearts as our special guest brings forth God's truth from His Word today. I tell you, we are blessed to be here today. Uh, the special music, corporate singing, the special number, is just amazing. A while back I had a pastor ask me, uh, they were making some recommendations for their church, and they said, of the churches that you go to, which one sings the best? Without hesitation, Fellowship Baptist Clark Lake. If I could bottle you and take you with me, it is amazing. My soul rejoices every single time I come here. And I'm sure you probably hear that from other people, so just take it as, as being truth. I always enjoy coming here. I, enjoy, I love seeing Ben lead the singing. I love seeing Daniel sing. If you noticed... Uh, he almost turned our Baptist pulpit into a Presbyterian pulpit. He dinged the water once, and then, so you had my undivided attention for the rest of the song, because I don't want to be the one to explain to Pastor White how the pulpit got sprinkled. That's not my job. So I'm just very thankful to be with you today, and I am blessed to be able to travel with Sue um, about nine years ago now. The Lord placed us on an amazing journey. Sue was diagnosed with stage 3 cancer, and it was in the lymph nodes. And that was Good Friday, and if you've ever gotten the notice that you have cancer, 30 years ago, that would have been a death sentence. Set your house in order, it's over. And through 26 weeks of prayer and all of the churches that prayed for us, it was amazing. I'm constantly amazed at the places that I go. I was in a little town of Mount Vernon, Ohio. Has anybody ever been to Mount Vernon, Ohio? All right, you got to be, trust me, you got to be driving there to get there, right? Nobody ever accidentally ends up in Mount Vernon, Ohio. It's got to be a point of destination. And after the service, this young man came up to me and said, Tim Schmig, is your wife Sue Schmig? And I said, yes, she is. And he said, I was at West Coast. Every single week, we prayed for your wife. And that's very humbling. And many of you pray. I appreciate that. And through that journey, the Lord allowed Sue to journal the experience that she was having, everything that the Lord was doing. And this last um, May, June, this was, her book was finally completed. And it's called Every Day is a Gift. Do you ever think about how blessed you are that every single day is a gift, that his mercies are new to us every single day? And it's our prayer that this book will get into uh, cancer centers, oncologists' offices. Our family doctor gives this out to patients that are diagnosed with cancer as an encouragement. If you know somebody who might be on that journey, this is a wonderful gift to give them because Sue has put the plan of salvation three different times into that. And then she's also included a gospel track with it. And the gospel track just begins... Have you ever been face-to-face -face with your own mortality? Have you ever thought about the fact that you are going to die? And so it's our prayer that somebody will look at this and make a decision for the Lord Jesus Christ. And then I think the most important thing that's on the back table, I would like all of you to take one of our prayer cards and remember to pray for us. How can you pray for us? Well, every single year, we put just about 50,000 miles on our van traveling on Michigan roads. 
with Michigan drivers. <laughs> and you know who you are. <laughs> so pray that we would have safety as we're on the road. And then pray that as we go to Lansing and to Washington, that we will have boldness as we speak to our elected officials. When you read the book of Acts, especially the first five or six chapters, over and over again, they spoke up with boldness. They spoke up with boldness. They spoke boldly. And this is a day for us to not be timid, but to stand up for the Lord Jesus Christ and to say, thus saith the Lord. And they, our elected officials, need to hear it then as we speak with boldness, we would ask that you would pray that we would have witnessing opportunities. On more than one occasion, we have had the opportunity to, to pray with our elected officials, to give them the plan of salvation, to be an encouragement to them. We've given them new testaments, and we want our testimony to be that of we are here as a bearer of salt and light for the gospel. And so we would pray that you would make this a matter of prayer. Please take our prayer cards. Take a couple of them. Put one in your Bible and pray for us every single day. And then place one on the refrigerator so we know at least three times a day you'll see it. Okay? So we would ask that you would pray for that. If you have your Bibles this morning, will you please turn with me to the book of Mark, Mark chapter 4. Not of respect to God's word, would you stand with me if you're able to just one last time this morning? At the preface of our King James Bible, it says it was meant to be read in churches. I'm very thankful that we have a Bible that is to publicly declare God's word in the English language. Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 35, we read these words. And the same day, when the even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, so that the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And verse 41, And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this? that even the wind and the sea obey him. Let's turn to the Lord. Father, we come to you, and we have just read the word of God in our hearing. Let him that hath ears to hear, let him hear what God says to us. As we turn our hearts and our mind and our attention towards spiritual things, towards worship at this time, Lord, may we be able to crowd out the distractions of this world, May we focus and center our attention on you and your word and who you are and what you have done for us. We pray, Father, that as we look at your word this morning, may we have application to our lives. And Lord, may we truly trust in him that is able to calm the storms of life. 
And we would just thank you for this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. About five years ago, I was asked by an atheist if I would go over to the Center for Inquiry in Grand Rapids and debate him on whether America ha had a foundation on the Christian religion in our government. He said, I've been looking at some of your videos, and he said, you seem to suggest that America has a godly heritage. Guilty. So Sue and I and one of our attorneys went over to Grand Rapids, and we entered a room that was about this size, and in that room, there were 150 anti-theists. You and I know atheists. We have neighbors that don't have a Bible, aren't interested in going to church, never gave a thought of spiritual things, don't think about dying because in their mind, all you have to do to go to heaven is die. Just look at what they say after one of their relatives passes. We work with relatives, or we work with co-workers who have no time for spiritual things, don't want to hear about it. We have relatives that don't want to hear about it. Those are atheists. These were anti-theists. They hate God with a passion. And they're not ashamed to talk about their hatred for God. As a matter of fact, they only know two things. Number one, there is, a, there is no God. And number two, they hate him. <laughs> and so while we were at this debate, we finished the debate with the atheist. And... <clears throat> It was a time for question and answer as everything was breaking down and people were leaving. This little old woman, shriveled up woman, about 85, maybe 90 years old, standing on eternity's doorstep, came up to me and looked at me and said, can you tell me how a father could kill his son? I said, ma'am, what are we talking about? Are we talking about Abraham and Isaac, the sacrifice of Isaac, his willingness to do that? Are we talking about how in the Old Testament a father could take his rebellious son to the gate of the city and the city elders would stone him there? What are we talking about? And she looked at me and pointed her finger in my face and she said, God, the father, killed his son Jesus. He's a bully. And I hate him. Could you imagine living a life, looking at the exit sign, knowing that very soon, should God tarry, you are going to enter eternity. And as you face the very God of eternity, those words are going to be on your lips. And yet what this woman was saying to me is the very same thing that is being said in essence by the disciples in the boat God, do you love people? Do you care for people? Do you care for us in our time of need? God, do you care about us? The title of our message this morning is, Does Jesus Care? And we're going to look and try to ask and answer the question. Let's take a look at verse 35, the opening of our text. The Bible says, And the same day. If you and I were to take a look at this day, and we were to map it out chronologically, 
we would see that on this day, the Lord called some of his disciples. On this day, he performed miracles. On this day, he did teaching. He had a very busy day from start to finish. You've had days like that. You've gotten up in the morning, you've woken up, and it seems from the moment that your feet hit the floor, one thing leads to something else, which leads to something else. And before you know it, you come to the end of the day and you've been busy from start to finish. You come to the end of the day and you're absolutely exhausted. You just want to crawl in bed, set your alarm clock for the crack of noon, and hope that nobody interrupts you. And yet look at the Lord's attitude. He says, And the same day when the even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. Our work is not done yet. Even though it's been exhausting, there's still more work that we have to look forward to. There's still more work that we need to do. And so then we see that they sent away the multitude. They took him even as he was, the clothes he was wearing that day. And there were also other little ships there. And we come to verse 37, it says, And there arose a great storm of wind. We know all too real that storms come up in life. Life is full of uncertainty. Life is full of plans being planned out, and all of a sudden the execution of the plan is completely different than what we anticipated it would be. Our plans are interrupted. Storms come up in life. And they ask a very interesting question. They say, Jesus, where are you? Whenever there's a national tragedy, a tsunami, 9-11, a plane goes down, somewhere somebody is going to go on national news, usually one of the evening talk shows, and they'll say, where was God when that happened? Can I submit to you that the Lord Jesus Christ is exactly where he has always been, in heaven, loving his children, caring for this world, doing exactly what he said he was going to do. And the disciples say, let us, they see this great storm, storms come up in life. These disciples, these sailors know that it is normal for their boat to be in the water. They've got problems when the water starts coming into the boat. They say, Master, where are you? He's asleep on a pillow. They wake him and they say, carest thou not that we perish? Are you a loving, compassionate Savior? Are you the loving teacher that we thought that you would be? And I love verse 37. It says, there arose a great storm of wind. And you come to verse 39 and it says, and he arose. You know, when storms come up in life, Jesus is always there. Jesus is very present with us. And he arose, and the Bible says, in verse 39, he rebuked the wind. For the first 14 years of my life, I was a Roman Catholic. I attended Catholic church. And I can remember going to different Catholic churches with my family, and sometimes the title of the message would be the subject of what we have here. And I can remember being in those churches and hearing the person delivering the message say that Jesus Christ stood on the side of the boat and said, peace, be still. Very dainty in such a way. And yet look at the text. It says, he rebuked the wind. 
The Bible tells us that we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. He knew what it was like to be awakened out of his sleep. When I was younger, my two younger brothers and I had a very energetic, amateur wrestling career in our living room. <laughs> you would be amazed how the back of the couch looks like the top of the third rope when you're going to dive onto your brother. And some days we would be practicing our wrestling moves in the living room, and a lamp would get knocked over, books would get knocked off the bookshelf, something would come crashing down, and while we were wrestling in the living room, my dad would be in the next room trying to take a nap. And all of a sudden, something would get slammed to the floor, a brother, a lamp or something. And we would look up and our dad would be standing over us. And whenever that happened, he was never like, boys, could you please take it outside? Dad's a little tired. No. You know exactly what he said. You know what you say when someone wakes you out of your sleep. Seriously? You know what that's like. And he rebuked the wind. I believe, with a sanctified imagination, the key to Bible interpretation, that the Lord Jesus Christ stood there and said, Peace, be still! In the vernacular, shut up. Tired of listening to it. <laughs> Do you know that when he said, peace, be still, the only authority that he had to calm that storm was his word. The creator speaking to his creation, his word. And he's given us his word to speak to us when the storms of life come up. There's no ship that's going to rescue them. There's no mag magical bridge that's going to take them to safety. The only thing that's going to get them out of this storm at sea is his word. The only thing that gets us out of the storms of life is trusting and believing God's word. As believers, we are not the ones who believe in God. There's lots of people who believe in God. As believers, we believe God. We believe what he says about our creation. He believe, we believe what he says about marriage. We believe what he says about education. We believe what he says about living the Christian life and being church members. We believe him and we take him at his word. His word has power and authority. His word has conviction for our lives. In another passage, the Lord makes this statement. He says, What man of you, having an hundred sheep, if he lose not one, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that one which is lost till he find it? He is willing to leave the ninety and nine at their own peril in the wilderness and out of loving compassion go and find that one lost sheep. Folks, do you realize that there was a time in our lives that every single one of us was that one lost sheep that he came after. He lifted us up on his shoulders and he took us into his fold. Our goal in working with the Michigan Association of Christian Schools is not to Christianize Michigan. 
Our goal is to make disciples, to win people to the Lord, to train the next generation for the Lord Jesus Christ, to give them the authority and the power that God's word can have. In another passage, the Bible says, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. And he saith unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into the harvest. Here's the Lord with his disciples and they're looking over the multitudes. People teeming everywhere. And as he looks at all of those people, every soul that's going to spend eternity someplace. He's moved with compassion on them. And in this passage, it's implied that his disciples do not pick up his compassion. And so he looks at them and he says, pray ye the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into the harvest. Why would he have to do that? Here he is with his disciples. His disciples are merchants, tax collectors, fishermen, people that make their living more or less looking out for number one. And they're men. And the Lord has to say to them, you need compassion for the others. Why would he have to say that? I believe he needed to say that because compassion is not a natural default setting for men. We have to work at it. We were at church. We had a kindergarten teacher. She was out on the playground with the little kids. She was pushing them on the swing at recess. And something distracted her, and she didn't see the kid coming back on the swing. She didn't catch him in time. And he came back before she was ready for it, and as her hands were out, her wrist got bent back. And so she went to the doctor, and the doctor x-rayed it and said, well, your wrist isn't broken. He said, we're going to put it in a plastic splint here. We'll wrap it in an ace bandage. We'll put your arm in a sling. Leave it like that for a couple of weeks. You should be okay. Nothing's broken. The tendons are a little sore. She said that she would come to church with her arm in a sling and every single lady would look at her and say, what happened to you? She would tell the story. She was pushing the kids on the swing. She didn't see the kid coming back. Her wrist got bent back. She said, the arm's not broken. I just need to leave it immobile for a couple of weeks and I should be okay. She said, every single lady looked at her and said, is John helping out at home? Can I make a meal for you? Can I come over and do laundry for you? Can I help you clean? Can I do something to help you out? She said her testimony. She would come to church and men would see her. And they would say, what happened to you? She would say, well, I was on the playground. I was pushing the kids on the swing. One of them came back and I wasn't ready for him and my wrist got bent back. The doctor said I need to leave it in the splint wrapped in the ace bandage, keep it in the sling, it should be okay. She said every single guy said, that's nothing. <laughs> you should have seen what happened to me. And then she said every single guy would proceed to tell her some fantastic story. I had torn ligaments in my knee. I was a senior in high school. 
I was on the football team. It was our homecoming game, and I still came in and kicked the extra point. And now after they encouraged her, <laughs> now they're going to help her. What you need to do is put a little Bengay on it, soak it in some ice, exercise it. It'll be okay. Why is that? Because every single lady goes through life empathetically. When you hurt, they hurt. Every single guy goes through life autobiographically. <laughs> Ladies, it is all about us. And every story you tell us, we can trumpet with one about us. Now think about it. It's February. We're in Michigan. What would happen if this afternoon we were predicted to have four to six inches of snow again? What does every single school kid hope and pray for with four to six inches of snow? What do they want? Snow day. And if the kid's not thinking, if he doesn't have his A game working, he'll go to his dad and he'll say, Dad, do you think Mr. Pierce will call snow day tomorrow? And what does dad do as soon as he hears that? Dad goes right to the home movies, reel number four, dad the early years. Son, let me tell you what it was like when I was your age. Now, how far did dad live from school when he was that age? At least what? Five miles? All right. I'm absolutely convinced that anybody who ever grew up right next to the school never becomes a dad because the story doesn't work that way. <laughs> then after, after dad lived five miles from the school, how deep was the snow when dad walked to school? At least waist deep, but that's all relative because dad was only 36 inches tall at the time. And then the best part of the story when dad's telling it, what was the terrain from dad's house to the school? Uphill, and if he's a good dad, both ways. We built them tough back then. That's exactly why the Lord says, when he looks on the multitudes, he says, men, do not look autobiographically on the world. Look at them through their eyes. Look at them through the hurt that they're going through. Look at them through the eternity that they're going to spend if you don't go and tell them. He was moved with compassion on them. Does Jesus care? Then he reproves them in verse 40. He says unto them, after he says, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was great calm. Now think about this. Never in the history of mariners has there been a raging storm one moment and absolutely perfectly calm the next moment. The water that they were in was as calm as the carpeting you're sitting on right now. A zipper. You can imagine these sailors. They're now terrified. They've never seen this in their lives. And they look at him, and he says unto them, verse 40, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? After the Lord performed his first miracle in the book of Mark, they look and they say, this is a new teaching. We've never heard anything like this before. He teaches us as one that has authority, not like the scribes. 
That was just a major indictment on the teaching of the synagogues in the first century that it was more or less, do as I say, not as I do. And Jesus Christ teaches with authority, action, information, compassion in his teaching. What new thing is this? What's going on? All of us go through storms in life. All of us have plans interrupted. All of us have things happen that we say, Lord, why would this happen? Why now? And we comfort ourselves with that verse in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 that we all know. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Sometimes life just doesn't make sense. When I was teaching fourth grade boys Sunday school class, our lesson was on Romans 8.28. And I was trying to explain to them that as we go through life, sometimes life zigzags, it takes different turns. There's, life is rarely a straight line for us. And I said, sometimes things will happen to us. And I had asked Sue if she would give me all of the individual ingredients to a cake in, in baggies. And so I walked into Sunday school class Lesson is on Romans 8, 28. And I said, guys, sometimes things will happen to us in life that we just don't understand and it doesn't make sense. And I opened up the little baggie of flour, gave each one of them a plastic spoon, and I said, taste this flour. And they all had to taste the flour. I said, sometimes things will happen to us in life and it's just not really all that pleasant. And she had put vanilla in a baggie. And I said, you guys taste the vanilla. And all of them had to taste the vanilla. I said, sometimes stuff happens in life and it's really not all that bad. And she had sugar in one of the baggies and they all got to taste the sugar. I said, sometimes things will happen in life and it's really kind of gross. And I had a raw egg in one of the baggies. And I said, taste this egg. This was before salmonella was invented, so don't <laughs> worry about that. And so they had to taste the, bag, taste the egg in the baggie. I said, sometimes things happen in life and they looks, it looks like it's going to be good, but it actually turns out not so good. And she had placed a baker's cocoa in one of the bags. And they said, chocolate. And then they tasted it. It was bitter. And I said, but you know, guys, if you take all of these ingredients and you mix them in proper proportion and you put them in a mixing bowl, and then you pour it into a cake pan and bake it in an oven, 350 degrees, 45 minutes. You take that out of the oven, let it cool, frost it, get a cup of coffee. I'm ready to dismiss in prayer right now. <laughs> I said, it's really pretty good. And she had baked us a chocolate cake with chocolate frosting. And so there we are, 10.30 in the morning, fourth grade boys Sunday school, eating chocolate cake with chocolate frosting for Sunday school. And I looked up at one of the boys, I looked up at my boys and I said, so what do we learn from this? One of my little guys looked at me with a huge chocolate smile and he goes, life is a piece of cake. <laughs> I said, amen. Life is a piece of cake when we know the Lord Jesus Christ, when we are the called according to his purpose. 
The question of the day, the question that the disciples ask, the question that we ask is, Jesus, do you care about us? Are you a loving, caring, compassionate Savior? In Mark chapter 6, it says, And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people and was moved with compassion on them because they were as sheep, not having a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. When we go to Arlington, and we look at some of the headstones that are there. Sometimes there will be a Bible verse on the headstone. And one of the Bible verses that you will see more often than not is greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. The Lord tells us in the book of John, I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. He loves us so much. He laid his life down for us that we never have to see the payment for our sin. We never have to see the wages, the wrath of God in a Christless eternity. The highest expression of love, John chapter 3 and verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Think about what we were like when God saved us, when he came down and reached to us. And by faith, we reached back and accepted the free gift of salvation. The Bible says, For scarcely for a righteous man would one die. Yet peradventure for a good man some would die. But Christ Jesus, in that while we were yet what? Sinners. Christ Jesus died for us. The worst of the worst, those living outside of the bounds of acceptable behavior. Sinners. Jesus Christ died for us. When storms come up in life, we ask ourselves, why would this happen? What's the purpose in all of this? When you study your Bible, any time that you can find a Bible truth or principle reinforced in another passage, that is God's divine inspired commentary on that situation. Would you please turn to Psalm 107 with me? And I want to show you, keep a finger here in Mark chapter 5, and I want to show you in Psalm 107, God's commentary on this passage. Verse 21. Psalm 107, verse 21. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works to the children of men. And let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. Verse 23. They that go down to the sea in ships that do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. Verse 25. For he commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind which lifteth up the waves thereof. According to Psalm 107 and verse 25, who brought the storm in Mark chapter 4? God brought the storm. He commandeth and raiseth the, the stormy wind. Verse 26, they mount up to the heaven. Here is this little ship on a stormy sea, and it rides the crest of a wave higher than any ship has ever been above sea level. They rise up to the heavens. They're on the peak of the wave. And then verse 26, they go down again into the depths. 
They hit the swell. They're at the base of two waves and they see walls of water on either side of them and they know that they're doomed unless God intercedes. Their soul is melted because of their trouble. That's one thing about the sea and the waves. They don't care. They could perish. Verse 27, they reel to and fro. They stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. They cry unto the Lord in their help, in their trouble. Master, carest thou not that we perish? With every ounce of strength in their lungs, they scream above the waves. Master, do you care for us? And he bringeth them out of their distresses. Verse 29, he maketh the storm a calm. Peace, be still, so that the waves thereof are still. Then are they glad because they be quiet. So he bringeth them unto their desired haven. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works to the children of men. Sometimes when, the, when we are in the middle of the storm, we cannot see God's purpose in all of this but he has a divine plan for everything. <clears throat> why, would they bring the, why would he bring the storm at sea? Why would he do that to them? Why would he cause them such consternation? Why would he cause them such concern that they would scream out in terror, Master, carest thou not that we perish? He's on a mission. There's a bigger part of the plan than what they see from their very small view of the picture. Look with me, if you will, over to Mark chapter 5 and verse 1. It says, And they came over unto the other side of the sea, into the country of the Sea of the Gadarenes. Is it interesting... In verse 35, he says, let us pass over unto the other side, period. And what do the disciples do in between Mark chapter 4 and verse 35 and Mark chapter 5 and verse 1? They put a question mark where God has placed a period. God says we're going to pass over unto the other side, period. They say, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Question mark. And then we come to verse 1 of chapter 5. It says, and they passed over into the other side. God always does exactly what he said he's going to do. Amen. Numbers chapter 23 and verse 19 says um, that God has spoken, and shall he not, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Hath he spoken, shall he not make it good? Jesus Christ, God, does everything he says he's going to do. It's a mark of character. And they come over onto the other side, and the question that I would have is, how'd they get there? In one verse, in Mark chapter 4, there's a raging storm at the sea. They're in peril of their lives. At the end of the chapter, they're in perfect calm. Chapter 5 and verse 1, they're on the other side. How'd they get there? Most likely... The Lord Jesus Christ went back to sleep, and for the rest of the night, the disciples manned the oars and rowed themselves to shore. With every stroke of the oars, thanking God that they serve a loving, compassionate Savior who delivered them from peril at the sea. 
So they get there, they get to the other side, and the very first person that they meet is the Gadaranian maniac. This is a man, he's the first Gothic person depicted in the scripture. He lives in the tombs. Government has set bonds on him, and he breaks the chains off as if they're nothing. And when he sees the Lord, he has a confrontation with the Lord, and the Lord says, who are you? And with all of the ravages of the voices of hell in this man's voice, he looks at the Lord Jesus Christ and he says, we are legion because we are many. And the Lord commands the demons that are in that man to enter a herd of swine. Pork Futures took a dive that day as the first case of deviled ham went off the cliff. <laughs> and in the very next scene, we see this man, this same Gadaranian maniac, clothed and in his right mind. And the Lord is with his disciples, and this man now approaches the Lord again, and he does what every person who truly, genuinely gets saved says, Lord, I want to be with you. I want to pray to you. I want to spend time in your word. I want to fellowship with you. And listen to what the Lord said to him. In verse 19, it says, Howbeit Jesus suffered him not. No, you can't be with me. I've got something bigger for you. But saith unto him, Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee. In the hearing of the disciples, he says, and hath had what? Compassion on thee. Does Jesus care? Sometimes the Lord sends us storms so that we can be an encouragement to others. One of the people that, one of the sailors, one of the fishermen in this boat was the Apostle Peter. And later in 1 Peter, Peter is going to talk about the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold that perisheth. Though it be tried with fire, might be found unto the praise and honor and glory of the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to say later, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is the trial as though, as though some strange thing happened unto you. Then Peter's going to say, Casting all of your care upon him, for he careth for you. And I love that word, casting. Because we, in our English vocabulary, if we go fishing, we think about casting a line out and then reeling it in, bringing it back to us. This idea is taking a rock and throwing it as far away from you as, it can, as you can into the deepest part of the water that you can so that there is no possible way it's coming back to you. And the Lord says, I want you to take all of your cares, Peter says, and cast all of your cares upon him. Don't bring them back because he careth for you. And Peter would say, I know I was in the boat with him. I saw what this great Savior can do for us. The Bible also says that in this storm, there were also other little ships. Aren't you thankful that as we go through storms, we have the Lord in the boat with us? You know, there's unsaved people. They lose their job. 
There's unsaved people, they have broken relationships with their family members. There's unsaved people, they get diagnosed with cancer and other diseases, and yet we have the Lord in the boat with us. For 26 weeks, Sue and I would go up to the cancer center, and we would take the chemotherapy treatments. We would look around at the people that were there, and some of them were utterly hopeless. Some of them had the expression, let me get this over so I can die. We were there one day, and when you go through chemotherapy, they put a port under your skin so they can always find a vein. And one day we were checking ourselves in, and this woman, very irate, came up to the, to the nurse's station where we were checking in, and she said, take this out. I'm through. And the nurse said, if we take your port out, you will die. And she said, I'm going to die anyway. There was no hope. And yet when you and I go through the storms of life, Jesus is in the boat with us. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, he says. He is our great comforter. So to ask the question, if we were in a courtroom today, and the question were to be asked, does Jesus care? The defense attorney would rise and say, asked and answered. We serve a loving, compassionate Savior. Will you join with me in a word of prayer? And then afterwards, I'm going to ask you to do something. Father, I pray that you would help us to turn to you in our very time of trouble. I pray that you would help us to look to you as the one who can calm the winds and the waves and calm the storms in our heart because, Lord, you created us. You are the creator. We are your creation. We bow our knee before you because you are the one who can calm the winds and the waves. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you all to stand with me. And as you study the book of Acts and you study the Bible, there is power in corporate prayer. In the early book of Acts, they met together and they prayed. And the Holy Spirit came upon them and the power of Pentecost came upon them. We read later in the book of Acts that Peter is in prison and they gathered together and they prayed corporately. And Peter was miraculously released from the bonds and the chains that he was held between two separate guards. And God released him. In just a moment, I'm going to ask all of you who will to join me here at the altar. And we're going to pray for Alyssa. Corporately, we are going to ask God to do a wonderful, marvelous work. I know that all of you have prayed. I know that you've prayed corporately before. But the Lord has impressed me this morning that we as a church need to bring Alyssa before the Lord and just corporately ask God to do a wonderful work in her life that Pastor White and the mission team can get back here as soon as possible. Will you please stand with me now? And for those of you who will, join me here at the altar, and I'll lead us here in prayer. Come, come forward.
You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org, where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, where you can see what's happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.